They said it couldn't be done. They said curing a virus was impossible. But this September, join one man's journey as he single-handedly saved the airline industry from disaster. The Coronavirus Hero. Preview airs this Sunday, 7 p.m., 6 p.m. Central. Be there. <laughs> I'm totally going to add that to my voiceover reel and just not say anything about it. <laughs> I'm also available for children's parties, by the way. Uh, welcome back, guys, to, to Aviation Lowdown. I'm your host, Ello. Today is uh, March 10th, 2020, which means that uh, if you're listening to this, you have not died from the coronavirus, which is probably uh, pretty good, but you, maybe you have it and you're sharing it amongst everybody you interact with, which could also uh, potentially be problematic. Uh, okay. So this podcast is sponsored by iFlyGPS.com. You're looking for an EFB electronic flight bag solution. Maybe you're kind of sick of some of the alternatives, you know what I'm saying? Check it out, iFlyGPS.com. Install that bad boy. Use code LOWDOWN, that's L-O-D-O-W-N, 90 days free. Okay, how could you say no to that? Seriously, free trial, no risk, right? iFlyGPS.com. You're a pilot? <laughs> you want to become a better one? Yeah iFlyGPS.com. Use code LOWDOWN, L-O-D-O-W-N, 90 days, free trial. So last episode, we talked some of the intro of the coronavirus and how it's affecting the global economic, uh, let's say, strategy and stability of the airline industry and aviation as a whole. And it continues to do so. And I think it's becoming more prolific and spreading much bigger and starting to personally affect people who are working in this industry. And it's interesting. You know, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. I try not to be. It's a whole separate discussion. But I really dabble in trying to read some of the overall feeling and some of the discussion, let's say, mood, I guess. And I think in the past week, it has shifted from one of caution to one of concern whereas it was the beginning it's like all right you know whatever we'll keep our minds open we'll look for some signs that yeah okay maybe it'll affect us yeah right and now it's like oh shit when is it going to affect me the airlines were doing great originally man i mean low fuel costs which by the way that'll continue we'll talk about that in a second but they they were profiting they were doing pretty well in an industry that was well known for being I'm pretty accustomed to bankruptcies, let's say. So on March 5th, IATA, the International Air Transport Association. If you're in aviation and you don't know what that is, just turn this off and start hitting Wikipedia. You guys got to hit the books, man. But anyway, they doubled their estimate for the impact from COVID-19, which is the syndrome that could possibly happen if you get this coronavirus. It's like the sickness, right? They doubled their estimate with respect to the impact economically on the airline industry from $63 billion to $113 billion. That's like, that's like Jeff Bezos numbers up there, man. So if this disease continues to spread, they estimate, which is essentially the International Organization for Air Transport, $113 billion would be lost. And that's just in one industry, flying. Damn. And of course, this will disproportionately affect certain areas of the world maybe sooner than others. For example, in Asia, almost a quarter of the seat miles have been cut this month. And keep in mind, it's only the 10th, okay? 
So, uh, I mean, as this thing intensifies and more and more people pull out or they cancel vacations or they get cold feet or perhaps they are planning to fly to areas that they cannot, case in point, maybe Italy, the whole place is in lockdown right now. I mean, that's crazy, right? That we are sort of in an unprecedented level of uncertainty within a market. Now, I mentioned last time, of course, there were some unprecedented uncertainties in the days after 9-11, let's say. Absolutely true. There's no doubt about it. The airlines recovered. But in the past financial crisis, it was able to be better covered and better handled through monetary and fiscal policy. Governments of the world being like, you know, we got to fix this. And they were able to sort of curtail the problem. And we had a great market. In the past decade, it's been on its way up. And then that all ended last week, right? So this is a pretty shitty time, uh, potentially, for the future of what was a very profitable and overall stable business, aviation. So what's going to happen? And I also want to talk about specifically some of the events in aviation. Most notably, by the way, we'll be at Sun and Fun at the end of this month. That begins the 31st. Uh, as I've been told, it's still on. And if it's still on... I plan on being there, so hope to see all you crazy guys there as well. Now, in the past, what happens when there's a lack of demand and it is uh, signaling to the higher-ups in society who control the money, basically, control the supply of money more specifically, the gigantic lever on something called the Federal Reserve and the bank, the federal, you know, let's say the central bank, they pull this gigantic lever and basically what it does is it cuts interest rates and therefore it makes people want to borrow money because money has become cheaper. We pump out a bunch of money into the economy and we say, all right, have at it. You guys, let's get some demand going. And usually it actually works. It incentivizes people to have business expenses and to go on vacations and to refinance their house and to send their kid to that college that probably wasn't worth it, but at least now they can afford to do it. But that doesn't really work when you have the potential epidemic on your hand. I mean, consider it, if I had $100,000 just randomly gifted to me, do you think I'd be like, mm, let's go to Milan and then we'll go to San Diego and then I'll fly over and have a nice little hop in at the Disney World Resort? No, you, no, you don't do that shit because you're like, I don't want to get sick. So therefore, it presents something that is a classic problem and that people are, as Warren Buffett said, obsessed with numbers and formulas, right? I mean, really, it doesn't matter how much liquidity or how much money people are going to have. They still are not going to do shit that they think puts them at risk. That is a, a fundamentally challenging aspect to deal with, especially in an industry that relies on people to be, well, comfortable traveling. So these guys at this gigantic bank, it, of course, I imagine it as this huge lever because I'm visual and I can't think of complex ideas for too long. So I'm thinking of this gigantic lever. Maybe it's painted in gold or something. I don't know. It probably has a, a nice little seal on it. or uh, it, look, it looks pretty, okay? It's a really powerful lever. It controls the value of your money in your pocket. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. And I imagine that these guys pull the thing and it's like, here we go. And then what happens is the investors and the people with the money investing and with the securities. And, and to be honest with you, this is getting out of the scope of a podcast about aviation, but it's actually not all people. It's a lot of it is algorithms, algorithmic trading, which looks at what's happening and makes 
assumptions based on the past and looking into futures of different things, it, it makes a basically a gamble, a predicted bet on what's going to happen. And you know what happens is if it does not follow the pattern that the Fed or others had predicted – it actually kind of backfires because people's confidence in the uh, government's ability to control and regulate the markets is is failing. And <laughs> it's basically exactly what happened. In fact, it got so shitty that we have, and a lot of people don't know this, but for example, in the market, there are actually, because there's so many algorithmic trading procedures in place, the computers are trading, they actually have what is essentially uh, circuit breakers that pull the plug. And if the computers go fucking crazy, basically, and start selling off stuff or making really risky bets that starts tanking the market, trading stops. And that actually happened multiple times. It happened last week, and it also happened yesterday. That's a pretty big deal. So this, of course, then spooks the human beings. And remember, this was all supposed to be helped out by the central bank. They were supposed to be the ones who were like, well, you know, people aren't spending money, so let's give them a little nudge here and keep the markets moving. Didn't work didn't work. It was sort of like, well, we could try this little uh, push on the cart and see what happens. It's like, ooh, we just hit a pothole. Now we're stuck. So consider the airlines, right? They're the ones that have to basically entice people to travel. Even if they have more money, they still are not the most likely to travel right now, being that the fundamental problem is that people are getting sick. So you kind of understand in my economics little 101 thing there, that it's not necessarily a monetary or fiscal problem. It's not that people don't even, you know, have, uh, let's say, money in their pocket, and that's why they're not traveling. It's the fact that there's an external risk factor that people don't want to get sick. And so, you, you know, you could have flights that are a dollar a piece, and you can have a million bucks in your pocket, and people are still going to be like... I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really seem that worth it. That is a major problem to sort of approach without some radical changes to the way people feel as confident consumers. And right now, I don't think people feel very confident in going outside in massive crowds because they're so fearful that they might get sick with this coronavirus. Now, of course, the media plays into this. There's no doubt about it. The media does hype things. There's no doubt about it. I mean, because they're in the industry to try to make ad sales. And this is the attention economy. If they can hold your attention, then they can basically convert you to be a dollar amount. But having said that, absolutely that this is a serious thing. It's not just, quote, the flu. I've seen people share things like, oh, it's just the flu. No big deal. Dude, come on. Apparently, everybody is an expert now in health. But my point is this, to convince people that traveling is safe is far more difficult than the human psychology involved than convincing them that, hey, you know, the economy is pretty good, you have a few extra bucks, let's go on vacation. So while all this is going on, the demand for certain things and certain supplies and certain products has fallen. It's completely tanked. I wouldn't say it stopped yet, but it has significantly fallen. And of course, one of the most important important resources when it comes to supply and demand on the planet is oil. Well, bullshit also, but that's a different story. Oil, right? So the world's producers of oil have had a massive drop in the demand for what they produce, raw, crude oil or whatever. 
So what did they do? I mean, think about it. If you were producing oil and that's all you sold, let's say you're just giving buckets out of your house. Here you go, man. Here you go. People are coming to your door. You give them a bucket, one, two, three, four, and you're, you're charging them $5 a bucket. And all of a sudden, no one's buying it except for that one house down the street. So it turns out the guy on the side streets behind your house, he, he's a rival of yours, make no mistake, but he's also selling oil. And like you, he also finds himself... In a pretty rough situation, no one's buying his oil either. So despite your differences, you guys invite each other for dinner one day and you actually decide to team up. And you're like, look, we're both getting screwed here. So let's agree to cut our production together so as to stabilize the entire demand for our neighborhood's oil. That actually sounds pretty coordinated and actually pretty smart. Uh, by the way, this is exactly what the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, does. And it's basically, it's a few countries, but like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. When oil demand in the world falls, they all meet together and decide what to do with respect to their cutting of production. It's very important because these guys basically set the world stage for oil pricing. Well, when all the members of this OPEC group, or in the hypothetical, all the local producers of oil in that neighborhood, decide to follow the rules of what they all agree to at that dinner, then they own the market and everything is more or less controlled. Because if demand falls, we're able to stabilize the price and people don't go insane. They don't lose their shirt. But here's the problem. And the other town over... You got some guys making oil who basically tell you and your buddies to go fuck themselves. They're going to produce it the way they want, and they don't care what your little neighborhood dinner decides to do. Uh, this is basically exactly what has happened over the past few years on the world stage with respect to oil production. And American shale producers, they're not members of this OPEC dinner, and they don't care. And perhaps most importantly to the rivals of those outside of OPEC, Russia, man. Russia, yo, they're big. Keep in mind, this is really important to aviation. Probably, probably the single most important factor for whether or not an airline can be profitable, period. I mean, okay, obviously you're not going to sustain yourself forever if you don't have uh, pressurized cabins and peanuts or something. But really, come on, the price of oil, it is like the blood of aviation. So these OPEC guys are sitting down at your dinner table and they're trying to figure out what production to cut to keep the prices stable. And they know that guy down the road, he's not a member of your dinner party here, but he's a big deal. And it's Russia, by the way. So they go down to Russia and they're like, hey, man, uh, you're not one of us, but can, can you help us out here? Like, we kind of need some help. So Russia's like, yes, they will help you. You know, so they actually team up too. They're not really a part of it, but it's like OPEC plus. I think that's actually literally what they called it. So it's all these guys plus R Russia and, you know, they're calibrating the prices together. And so what happens is that as the markets continue to ebb and flow, these guys end up working together. But then, of course, what happened, man, the coronavirus happened, right? The coronavirus. So this is a really big deal because, the like as I said, the global demand for oil has just plummeted. And now it's just like, uh, we got to figure something out here. So long story short, these countries and Russia, they decide to cut 100 million barrels a day for the world's global oil production. Pretty big number. I, I admittedly don't even know like how much that translates to like flights per day or shipping or whatever, but it's a 
really big number. And they were, you know, concerned about this demand issue. And all the countries agreed, okay, 100 million barrels were going to cut. Every country agreed except for one. And that one was, of course, Russia. And Russia, they had a different idea. The Kremlin, they didn't want to cut their production of oil. They basically said, we've cut enough already, so we're kind of going to go back to our house. You guys can have a great dinner party. Nobody really cares. See you later. We're out. And OPEC is kind of like, oh, what the fuck? I hope you guys are following this so far. Uh, I've never really seen this explained well. I don't think I'm doing that good of a job, but maybe people can better understand how this affects your industry of aviation. Because like I said, it's super, super important. So here we are, right? All these guys who make oil come together. They invite some other people who make oil to come together. And one of them, Russia, they're, they go, go kind of rogue. You know, they're like, we're not cutting our production. We don't think this is a good idea. We're out. That's where we are. So what do people do? Specifically, what do some of the individual members decide to do? So the question kind of lingers, you know, why would Russia not want to do this? It seems like they would want to. I mean, stabilize the price. It would help the industry. And may- Well, think about it. Think about it, right? Why would Russia do this if they knew that, hey, remember those people that did not join their dinner party? They did not agree to do the production cuts. One of them was a country you might have heard of called the United States of America. Okay, Russia is in no way interested in helping the U.S. oil producers. (laughs) So they're like, we're out. We're not doing this. And and think about why would they? So that's where uh, this is a PBS article here. It says that many American shale producers need an oil price above $40 a barrel to remain solvent. Thanks to an era of cheap money from the Federal Reserve. This is sort of echoing the flavor in the beginning of this podcast. I talked about that big old lever. They are now straddled with debt and will struggle to meet their interest payments. Oof. So it wasn't like Russia did this haphazardly or they did it to be bullies or jerks or to just piss off OPEC. As a matter of fact, Saudi Arabia and and Putin, they get along pretty well, or they used to. But no, it was super strategic. (laughs) There was, however, one small problem. And that was the fact that Saudi Arabia kind of called their bluff. And... (laughs) They were kind of like, all right, you want to play that game? We'll play that game. And what did they do? So remember in the very beginning of this, what was the fundamental problem? The demand was low. In this case, it was the coronavirus. Demand was low. So all the countries come together in OPEC and they decide we're going to produce less oil, less oil to stabilize the prices. Seems to make sense. But when Russia decided, nah, we're out, well... Few nations got a little bit irked by that, most notably Saudi Arabia calling their bluff. Remember, we're supposed to be cutting production. We want to stabilize the prices. We want to have less supply, right? Moderate the supply. But once Russia bailed, Saudi Arabia basically did the complete opposite. (laughs) And they started flooding the market with oil. Pumping it out, pumping it out, get it out there, get it out there. And of course, what happens to the prices? They fall really fast really really fast 
All of a sudden, what was supposed to be a nice get-together to agree to produce less oil has become an effectual food fight of bullshit and people producing way more oil than they ever even started out with because now it's war. I don't mean it's like a, a shooting literal violence war, but it is quite literally a war. A price war, perhaps, but I think more specifically, it is a supply war. It's a volume war. Fuck you, I'm making more oil than you and there's nothing you can do about it. And the reality is that the biggest trump card that they have as Saudi Arabia is that they can really produce a shitload of oil. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the United States, <laughs> those American companies are totally screwed. Because remember, originally Putin didn't want to make the cuts because that would raise prices for oil for the whole world. And why would he help companies stabilize their pricing? Remember, it has to be $40 a barrel or more to remain solvent for most of these U.S. companies. And now, wow, everybody, including, by the way, Saudi Arabia, they do get some splash damage for sure. Everybody is suffering. But the strategy and the idea behind it is that Saudi Arabia, because of their insane oil production capacity, nobody, nobody could ever combat that and to take them on. And so that's essentially what happened. They decided to just pump out a bunch of oil. And the oil prices have not fallen such insane amounts since the Gulf War, 1991. Wow, probably before many people listening were born. Now, of course, Russia throughout all this, well, naturally so, they're remaining tough and they're basically saying, yeah, whatever, we can handle this for, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever they say. And it could very well be the case. Uh, but the reality is that it does cost money to actually produce oil. Because remember, they're actually producing more oil. All these countries need to basically produce more oil if they want to suppress the prices and uh, compete. So... You know, it's like everybody suffers. And so that was one of the big factors that completely tanked the market. I think Monday, the Dow was down 2,000 points or something like that. And it's basically in my 15-minute or whatever description, that's the primer as to how OPEC works and why this happened. Now, keep in mind also that... It actually costs more money depending on what type of oil it is. So, And I actually just read this this morning. But in the United States, for example, we produce a lot of shale. And the shale oil is a lot more expensive to pump out of the ground and to refine and purify. And Venezuela, they have a lot of this too. Keep in mind, Venezuela, just as a small side note, but they could have been like the next Dubai. They are sitting on so much oil. But the fact that they feel the pressures of this U.S., OPEC, Russia thing so heavily and their economy depends so heavily on their oil exports that they get screwed every time something like this happens. Because think about it, if they're if they're predominantly just trying to compete with oil and it costs more to produce it. Wow. And so that's why, as a side note, I mean, people use Venezuela all the time to talk about like corrupt of socialism and all this stuff. But really read about their economy and what this type of thing does to them specifically. But anyway, so the places where it costs a lot of money to get it out of the ground, they're going to feel the effects even more. And the U.S., that certainly uh, that certainly feels like it. Now, of course, a lot of people could say, this is a great, this is awesome, man, because I can go to the gas pump and fill my car up for like $1.50, okay? Uh, I think that the fuel prices will certainly fall over the coming weeks. And this is where I tie it back to the airline industry. Because 
while it's true that something could have strategically been birthed out of a way to not give an advantage to an adversary, that is, why would Russia want to purposely help the United States oil guys? Doesn't really seem to be in their best interest. Yet, by doing that and have another country, Saudi Arabia, calling their bluff, it could actually help certain industries because all the oil prices completely tank. Now, whether or not you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, well, it's kind of subjective and up to you. Of course, we have not even discussed the implications of things like climate change, the environmental hazards associated with fracking and shale and other sorts of oil pumping out of the ground. You know, as a matter of fact, even Vladimir Putin is extremely outspoken about some of the environmental effects of some of these, uh, the, these processes to get oil out of the ground. So there's a lot of complex factors here. But the most important thing of this podcast is basically to hopefully help you understand a little bit about how the world's oil pricing works and also explain to you why the prices absolutely tanked and fell faster than they had in, uh, in decades. Just earlier this week. So what do you guys think, man? You guys work in oil? Does anybody here actually work in, for example, fuel pricing, fuel hedging, airline pricing? Uh, the airlines hedge their fuel and stuff like that. Oh, think about that. Think about, oh man, think about fuel futures. Like imagine if you locked in a price and now you're underwater with that price for 24 months or whatever. Oof. And that, that really happens, man. Wow. Anyway, uh, for those of you who have stuck with me this long, thank you so much. Please remember to wash your hands. Do not get the coronavirus. And hopefully I will see you at Sun and Fun. I'll be down there April 1st through the 4th. The entire event is March 31st through April 5th. Please bring your hand sanitizer. Okay, cover your mouth when you cough. And if you do drive, at least the oil will mean that your gas will probably be 30 cents a gallon. The oil companies in the U.S. may not like that, but uh, but damn, man, all the drivers certainly will. So, as always, guys, thanks for being a fan. LO at AviationLowdown.com. This has been Aviation Lowdown. Today is March 10th. And once again, we have been sponsored by iFlyGPS.com, the EFB electronic flight bag for you and yours iFlyGPS.com use code L-O-D-O-W-N L-L-L-O-Down 90 day free trial give it a try guys thanks again go out and have yourselves a great rest of the week don't do anything I wouldn't do and remember please cover your cough mm-hmm. take care guys we'll see you around bye bye <laughs>